There are so many things about which one should express their appreciation to God. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, he said to them in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, And to me who am less than the least of all saints, was this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I am deeply in God's debt for the privilege of being able to preach this morning. And I am thankful that, as Brother Lee Flat used to say, my lot has been cast among this group of people. And I'm glad to have this opportunity to be able to study with you what I consider to be one of the most uplifting, encouraging, and helpful books in the New Testament. And that's the book of 1 Thessalonians. I mentioned a few weeks ago when we began this series of lessons that when Paul wrote the Thessalonians, he expressed his genuine, deep appreciation for them, but not only his appreciation, but the fact that he wanted them to grow, he wanted them to succeed as Christians, and ultimately, on the day of judgment, to be able to stand with them together as they gave an account to God. This morning, I'd like to direct your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin by asking a question to spark your thinking. What is every parent's desire for their child? Now, I know that if you are a parent, there are probably several things that are going through your mind. But I can tell you, most likely, you want, when they're born for them to be healthy. Many people will say, I don't care if it's a little boy or a little girl, I just want them to be healthy. We look at our children, we want them to be healthy and do well in their lives. Not only that, we want to make sure that they are happy, that the things that they face in their life will be not very difficult, that they will be successful, and not only be successful, but be happy in this life, to have joy, And then we want to make sure that they are headed to heaven. I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents grieve because of a son or a daughter who has chosen to go in a path that is not right. And in their mind, somewhere along the line, they say, maybe they will come back to what they were taught. Maybe they'll recapture that kind of faith that I tried to instill in them as a child. When Paul looked at the Thessalonians, he looked at them like he was a parent. In fact, he's going in chapter 2 to use an illustration of both of his mother and a father. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You just imagine, here is a young baby nursing from the mother and how careful that mother caresses that child. How careful that mother treats. He says, so we affectionately longing for you were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. You drop down to verse 11 and he says, and you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you just as a father does his own children. 
You know, mothers and fathers treat their children a little bit differently. Generally, the mothers are the kind and gentle ones. Generally, the fathers are the more stern and harsh ones. But both love their children. They just approach things differently. And there are times when Paul was like a nursing mother. And there are times when Paul was like a father who wants his child to succeed. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 gives us a picture, if you will, of Paul looking at the Thessalonians just like his spiritual children and wanting them to succeed, wanting them to do well. You go to chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I want you to think about as we study 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 about the congregation at Bobby Branch being like the Thessalonians, one that you could truly be proud of. A congregation that everyone would want to be a part of because this congregation is going in the right direction headed toward heaven. Well, here's what we're going to study this morning. We're going to look at three things, and here's a basic outline of chapter 3. Paul, in verses 1 through 5, will express his concern. He's worried about them. Then in verses 6 through 8, you will see his comfort. How when Timothy comes back and gives him a report, how reassuring that is. And then beginning with verse 9, going through verse 13, he'll talk about the completion, the fulfillment the perfecting, if you will, of those saints. Let's begin, first of all. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. If you don't have your Bible, you can find it on the screen. If you do have your Bible, I encourage you to look in yours as we read along together. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left alone, and, and Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed for this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and as you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by any means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Now Paul was in a quandary. He was in a difficult situation. Do I allow Timothy to go back and check on these people? Or do I need to keep him here because of the situation? You know, there's times when every parent looks at his child and says, what do I need to do? Do I need to try to help this child? Do I need to try to help them along? Or do I need to allow them the dignity of of seeing if they can grow on their own. Now that's a tough thing to know when's the right time. And, and Paul is wrestling with 
his concern. Now let me explain to you. Athens is a tough place to be alone. For Timothy to leave would mean that Paul wouldn't have anybody there. And in fact, when Paul arrived, if you're reading Acts 17, verse 15, he says that he, Paul brought him to Athens, they, those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed. We need you to hurry up and come and help me. I'm here in Athens. You know, it's a real tough decision. Do I send Timothy or do I not send Timothy? Well, he ultimately chose to send him. And he had a purpose in mind. There was a need, he said, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. You need somebody to help you along with your faith. Now, why was he so concerned? He mentions two things in verses 1 through 5. He mentions the afflictions that they are going to face and encounter. You know, you've got a child who's growing up in school. Maybe they're a small child and people are picking on him. Do you as a parent go in and say, okay, now I need to step up and and help my child to be able to deal with this? Sometimes the best thing to do is to step up and help the child. Sometimes the best thing to do is to sit back and allow that child learn how to resolve their own conflicts. You know, when you're as a Christian and you see someone struggling, your immediate thought is, I want to help them. Paul's looking at these brethren and seeing the afflictions, and he's worried about them. Will these afflictions cause them to give up and give in? And then there's the tempter, Satan. There's all these worldly influences out here, someone trying to get them to go along and Will they give up? Will they give in? Will they give over to these temptations? Well, let me point out to you, newly established congregations, just like new converts, are very vulnerable. When Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey in Acts 13 and Acts 14, they went and visited a number of places. They established congregations They came back and they gave a report at Antioch in Jerusalem, all the things that they did. But you get to the end of Acts 15 and it says, Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back now and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. There's a right to be concerned about new converts. You may not notice it. But when someone is baptized, I try my best to look and see if they're coming to services as they ought to. I know the elders are very concerned and they watch this person who's been converted. Do they need a little help? Do they need a little encouragement? You see, they're vulnerable. Paul was even concerned about people whom he had never met personally. Colossians 2 and verse 1, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for those, or for you and those in Laodicea, for as many as not seen my face in the flesh. Are you concerned with the stability, the growth, the faithfulness 
of this congregation. Paul was. You see, concern will seek for stability. It'll work to try to make sure that we don't have people who are going astray. People who are falling through the cracks. People whose love grows cold. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. 1 Peter 5 verse 10, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Oh, there's a person who's been a Christian for 30, 40 years. You see the strength, the stability that is there. But what about the new ones? We've got to let them know we love them, we care for them, we want the best for them. And there's nothing wrong with being concerned just like you would be for your own children. And concern will also be uplifting, will be encouraging to say, you can do it. I think when Paul was at Antioch in Acts 13 verse 43, there was a gathering there of all these people. And notice the last phrase, he persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. We ought to be encouraging those who are Christians. You have done a good job. Keep on doing it. You got a new convert? Keep on. First thing in verses 1 through 5 is concern. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 now. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live... If you stand fast in the Lord, I want you to imagine what has just taken place. Paul sent Timothy to go to Thessalonica. He went to Thessalonica. He observed the growth that had taken place. He observed how they were faithful to the Lord. And he comes back and now he reports this to Paul. And Paul is comforted, encouraged, thrilled. Notice verse 6, good news of your faith and love. Verse 7, comforted concerning you by your faith. Set Paul's mind at ease. Here you are as a parent. And here is your teenage child who's driving for the first time. Those of you who've got teenagers who are driving, you know exactly that feeling. And you get a call, I'm okay, I'm fine, no problems. There's just no way to describe that kind of comfort, reassurance. 
Paul was worried how the afflictions, the temptations were affecting the Thessalonians. When Timothy comes back, he says, don't worry about it, Paul. They're doing well. They're doing good. Philippians 2, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state. That was to the church at Philippi. The amount of growth that had taken place was a real encouragement to him. Now, let me just ask you, this is a personal application here. What will be reported about your own state? I'm not talking about the congregation as a whole. I'm talking about each one of us individually. If Timothy were to go back to Paul and say, let me tell you about these people here. Would he say, oh, they're growing. They'll never miss a service of the church. And we we did some things the other day and, and they were very active in expressing their faith by the works that they did. Or would Timothy have to come back and say, but I'm worried about them too. Their faith is not as strong as it used to be. Doesn't appear they're reading their Bible very much. Listen to the comments they make. Oh, it it makes you wonder. Uh, When you see the way they live, when they're not in services, it doesn't exactly agree with what the book says. What would be the report? If like a parent looking for your child, would they be comforted by your spiritual state right now? That's a thought-provoking question. Which leads me to the third part of the lesson. Let's look at verses 9 through 13 together. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Now, what does the word perfect mean? You know, if you're reading through there and he's talking about perfecting one's faith, what does that really mean? Well, this original word here is really, really enlightening. I'm going to give you some usages of it in the Bible, which I think will help us appreciate what he's saying. If you go to Mark 1 and verse 19, it talks about James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And it says, when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. That's the same word translated perfect over here in 1 Thessalonians 3. 
mending. Oh, you go out and you catch the fish and you come back and the net now has some holes in it. What are you going to do with that? You're going to take some string, you're going to tie it together, and you're going to close up that hole. Because you don't want anything to escape. Now let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that somewhere in someone's life that there were things, holes, that need mending? Think with me for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, or chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Is there a hole in your life? Is there a place where you know that things are not right and they need to be perfected? They need to be mended. Well, let me give you the second use. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Is there some area where you are lacking in what you ought to know from our teacher, Jesus Christ? You know, I don't know what everybody's knowledge level is. When I preach a lesson, it has to be like a shotgun approach. And that is everyone in the audience has to do some evaluation themselves. Where do you stand with your knowledge? Is it growing or is it not? Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The word restore is exactly the same word translated perfect in 1 Thessalonians 3. The fact that a brother has been overtaken, it doesn't say overtaken in a bunch of trespasses. It says overtaken in any trespass. Oh, do you mean there's some sin that could be in my life that could be really the one that's tripping me up, that's giving me trouble, that I'm not really dealing with it? Could it be there's something lacking in my faith there? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Complete every good work to do His will. Now, I know that a lot of people have the idea that if I'm baptized and I attend most of the services of the church, then I am, quote, a good Christian and that I'm just fine. But I want to tell you the Bible is replete, full of passages which talk about our doing good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Is there something that you're not doing 
And you know you're not doing it. You're skipping over it. Well, Paul says, I want to perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, when you start talking about lacking, there's two or three different things that you can think about, maybe four things. Is it deficient? Is there something that you have not yet been taught to do and you're not yet doing it? That's very possible. You know, there's some people who are deficient in their knowledge, but it's not blameworthy that they're deficient. You know, you do not expect a fourth grader to be able to do uh, geometry. At some point you might be expecting that. But you see at some point in time there's a, uh, there's a growth level. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. There are people who have, in their faith, become deficient because they've not studied as they should. It's like Matthew 19, verse 20. The young man says, what do I still lack? You and I ought to be asking that question. Is there something that I need to be doing? Is there something I need to be knowing to be a more faithful child of God? What's lacking in my faith? Could it be defective? There's all sorts of things that are defective. That is, they don't work properly. I had a thing connected to my TV the other day that's supposed to amplify the sound. You turned it on and made this awful noise. I got online and read about it. There's a defect in it. The company knows there's a defect in it. They're going through a process of trying to repair it for people. But you recognize there's something that's wrong. Is there a possibility of a defect being in your faith? Well, James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20, But do you want to know, O foolish man, faith without works is dead. If I say I believe in God, but I don't do anything, my faith is defective. And there's something lacking there that needs to be repaired. Is my faith digressive? One of the things that Paul warned Timothy about repeatedly was this problem of people's faith. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit says, expressing in latter times, some will depart from the faith. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he talks about people who concerning the faith have strayed, verse 21. Or is my faith developing? Is my faith growing, becoming more sure, certain every day? You see, when I get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. Oh, here's a church that is growing. What do you mean by that? One of the best passages I can think of is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. 
but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the the issue. Paul expressed concern. He was worried about what would happen to the Thessalonians. But when Timothy came, he was comforted. But he also recognized there was something that they still needed, something still lacking. The truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, there's always room for growth on the part of every one of us. All of us. When Paul wrote the Philippians, he said in Philippians 3 and verse 12, about himself. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've not arrived yet. We've got to grow. We've got to thrive as God's people. For some of you, the journey must begin. For a moment, please just humor me. Some of you need to obey the gospel. You need to become a New Testament Christian. You need to, whether it's in the service this morning or sometime later to say, Tony, I've made up my mind, or not just to me, one of the elders, one of the good faithful brethren here, say, I need to be a New Testament Christian. Confess your faith. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. For some, the direction must be corrected. Just like Paul's concern, I'm worried about some of you. I really am. I'm afraid some of you have allowed the world, the tempter, to get a hold of you. And the Lord's not number one in your life. And the truth is, your faith's not growing. And you need a course correction in your life. You know who you are. For some, the challenge is to continue to grow, to be faithful to the Lord, to do what He would have you to do. Paul's going to end it in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 by saying, when the Lord comes, how will He find us? We're going to sing this invitation song. If you need to respond, please come. While together we stand and sing.